Chapter Nineteen of The Long Shadow by B. M. Bower. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Penn. Chapter Nineteen. I'm not your wife yet. Billy, coming back from the biggest town in the country, where he had gone to pick up another man or two for the roundup, which was at hand, met the pilgrim face to face as he was crossing the creek to go to the corrals. It was nearing sundown, and it was Sunday, and those two details, when used in connection with the pilgrim, seemed unpleasantly significant. Besides, Billy was freshly antagonistic because of something he had heard while he was away. Instead of returning the pilgrim's brazenly cheerful, Hello! He scowled and rode on without giving so much as a downward tilt to his chin. For charming Billy Boyle was never inclined to diplomacy, or to hiding his feelings in any way unless driven to it by absolute necessity. When he went into the house, he saw that Flora had had her hair done in a new way that was extremely pretty, and that she had on a soft white silk shirtwaist with lots of lace zigzagged across, a waist hitherto kept sacred to dances and other glorious occasions, and a soft pink bow pinned in her hair. All these things he mentally connected with the visit of the pilgrim, when he turned to see a malicious light in the round blue eyes of Mama Joy, and a spiteful satisfaction in her very dimples, it suddenly occurred to him that he would certainly have something to say to Miss Flora. It was no comfort to know that all winter the pilgrim had not been near, because all winter he had been away, somewhere. Rumor had it that he spent his winters in Iowa. Like the birds, he always returned with the spring. Billy never suspected that Mama Joy read his face, and left them purposely together after supper, though he was surprised when she arose from the table and said, Flora, you make Billy help you with the dishes. I've got a headache, and I'm going to lie down. At any rate, it gave him the opportunity he wanted. Are you going to let the pilgrim hang around here this summer? He demanded in his straight-from-the-shoulder fashion while he was drying the first cup. You mean Mr. Wallen? I didn't know he ever hung around. Flora was not meek, and Billy realized that, as he put it mentally, he had his work cut out for him to pull through without a quarrel. I mean the pilgrim, and I call it hanging around when a fella keeps running to see a girl that's got a loop on her already. I don't want to lay down the law to you, girlie, but that blame seawash has got to keep away from here. He ain't fit for you to speak to, and I'd have told you before, only I didn't have any right. Are you sure you have a right now? The tone of Flora was sweet and calm and patient. I'll tell you one thing, charming Billy Boyle. Mr. Walland has never spoken one word against you. He likes you, and I don't think it's nice for you. Likes me? Like hell he does, snorted Billy, not bothering to choose nice words. He'd plug me in the back like an engine if he thought he could get off with it. I remember him when I hazed him away from the line camp that morning after you stayed there. He promised faithful to kill me. Of course he won't, cause he's afraid, but I don't reckon you can call it liking. Why did you haze him away, as you call it, Billy, and kill his dog? It was a nice dog. I love dogs, and I don't see how any man... Billy flushed hotly. I hazed him away cause he insulted you he said bluntly, not quite believing in her ignorance. Flora, her hands buried deep in the soap suds, looked at him round-eyed. I never heard of that before, 
she said slowly. When, Billy? And what did he say? Billy stared at her. I don't know what he said. I wouldn't think you'd need to ask. When I came in the cabin, I lied about getting lost from the trail. I turned around and came back, because I was afraid he might come before I could get back. And when I come in, there was something. I could tell all right. You sat there behind the table looking like you was, well, kind of cornered. And he was, Flora, he did say something, or do something. He didn't act right to you. I could tell. Didn't he? You needn't be afraid to tell me, girlie. I give him a thrashing for it. What was it? I want to know. He did not realize how pugnacious was his pose, but he was leaning towards her with his face quite close, and his eyes were blue points of intensity. His hands doubled and pressed hard on the table, showed white at the knuckles. Flora rattled the dishes in the pan and laughed unsteadily. Go to work, Billy boy, and don't act stagey, she commanded lightly. I'll tell you the exact truth, and that isn't anything to get excited over. Fred Wallen came about three minutes before you did, and of course I didn't know he belonged there. I was afraid. He pushed open the door, and he was swearing a little at the ice there, where we threw out the dishwater. I knew it wasn't you, and I got back in the corner. He came in and looked awfully stunned at seeing me and said, I beg your pardon, fair one. She blushed and did not look up. He said, I didn't know there was a lady present, and put down the sack of stuff and looked at me for a minute or two without saying a word. He was just going to speak, I think, when you burst in. And that's all there was to it, Billy boy. I was frightened because I didn't know who he was, and he did stare. But so did you, Billy boy, when I opened the door and walked in. You stared every bit as hard and as long as Fred Wallen did. But I'll bet I didn't have the same look in my face. You wasn't scared of me, Billy asserted shrewdly. I was, too. I was horribly scared, at first. So if you fought Fred Walland and killed his dog, the reproach of her tone then, because you imagined a lot that wasn't true, you ought to go straight and apologize. I don't think I will. Good Lord, Flora. You think I don't know the stuff he's made of? He's a low-down, cowardly cur. The kind of man that is always bragging about Billy stuck there. With her big, innocent eyes looking up at him, he could not say, bragging about the women he's ruined. So he changed weakly. About all he's done. He's a murderer that ought by rights to be in the pen right now. I think that will do, Billy, she interrupted indignantly. You know he couldn't help killing that man. I kind of believe that, too, till I run across Jim Johnson up in Tower. You don't know Jim, but he's a straight man and wouldn't lie. You remember, Flora, the pilgrim told me the Swede pulled a knife on him. I stooped down and looked, and I didn't see no knife, nor gun either. And I wasn't so blamed excited I'd be apt to pass up anything like that. I've seen men shot before, and pass out with their boots on in more excitable ways than a little plain old killing, so I didn't see anything in the shape of a weapon. But when I come back, here lays a Colt forty-five right in plain sight, 
and the pilgrim saying, he pulled a gun on me, right on top of telling me it was a knife. I thought at the time there was something queer about it, and about him not having a gun on him when I know he always packed one, like every other fool pilgrim that comes west with the idea he's got to fight his way along from breakfast to supper, and sleep with his six-gun under his pillow. And I know you don't like him, and you'd think he had some ulterior motive if he rolled his cigarette backwards once. I don't see anything but just your dislike trying to twist things. Well, hold on a minute. I got to talking with Jim, and we're pretty good friends. So he told me on the quiet that Gus Venstrom gave him his gun to keep that night. Gus was drinking and said he didn't want to be packing it around for fear he might get foolish with it. Jim had it. Jim was tending bar that time in that little log saloon in Hardup when the Swede was killed. So it wasn't the Swede's gun on the ground, and if he borrowed one, which he wouldn't be apt to do, why didn't the fellow he got it from claim it? And if all this is true, why didn't your friend come and testify at the hearing? demanded Flora, her eyes glowing. It sounds to me exactly like a piece of spiteful old woman gossip, and I don't believe a word of it. Jim ain't a gossip. He kept his mouth shut because he didn't want to make trouble, and he was under the impression the Swede had borrowed a gun somewhere. Being half drunk, he could easily forget what he'd done with his own, and the pilgrim put up such a straight story. Fred told the truth. I know he did. I don't believe he had a gun that night, because because I had asked him as a favor to please not carry one to dances and places. There now, he'd do what I'd ask him to. I know he would. And I think you're just mean to talk like this about him. And mind you, if he wants to come here, he can. I don't care if he comes every day. She was so near to tears that her voice broke, and kept her from saying more that was foolish. And I tell you, if he come around here any more, I'll chase him off the ranch with a club. Billy's voice was not as loud as usual, but it was harsh and angry. He ain't going to come here hanging around you, not while I can help it. And I guess I can, all right. He threw down the dish towel, swept a cup off the table with his elbow when he turned, and otherwise betrayed human, unromantic rage. Damn him! I wish I'd chased him off long ago. Fred, eh? Hell, I'll Fred him. You think I'm going to stand for him running after my girl? I'll kick him off the place. He ain't fit to speak to you, or look at you. His friendship is insult to any decent woman. Almighty quick put a stop to him. Will Boyle, you don't dare. I'm not your wife yet, remember. I'm free to choose my own friends without asking leave of anyone. And if I want Fred Walland to come here, he'll come, and it will take more than you to stop him. I, I'll write him a note and ask him to dinner next Sunday. I, I'll marry him if I want to, Will Boyle, and you can't stop me. He, he wants me to, badly enough, and if you... Billy was gone and the kitchen was rattling with the slam of the door behind him before she had time to make any more declarations that would bring repentance afterward. She stood a minute, listening to see whether he would come back, and when he did not, 
She ran to the door, opened it hastily, and looked. She saw Billy just in the act of swishing his quirt down on the flanks of Barney so that the horse almost cleared the creek in one bound. Flora caught her breath and gave a queer little sob. She watched him, wide-eyed and white, till he was quite out of sight, and then went in and shut the door upon the quiet, early spring twilight. As for Billy, he was gone to find the pilgrim. Just what he would do when he did find him was not quite plain, because he was promising himself so many deeds of violence that no man could possibly perform all upon one victim. At the creek, he was going to shoot him like a coyote. A quarter of a mile further, he would beat his damn head off. And as if those were not deaths sufficient, he was after that determined to take him by the heels and snap his measly head off like you would a grass snake. Threatened as he was, the pilgrim nevertheless escaped, because Billy did not happen to come across him before his rage had cooled to reason. He rode on to Hardup, spent the night there swallowing more whiskey than he had drunk before in six months, and after that playing poker with a recklessness that found a bitter satisfaction in losing and thus proving how vilely the world was using him, and went home rather unsteadily at sunrise and slept heavily in the bunkhouse all that day. For Billy Boyle was distressingly human in his rages, as in his happier moods, and was not given to gentle, picturesque melancholy, and to wailing at the silent stars. End of chapter 19